This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for my adventures with Superman. Not really, except for nah, the light spoilers. Thing. Light spoilers. Light spoilers. <laughs> Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, in the previously on, we're talking about something that I know that we're probably both going to love, which is Armando Iannucci's new superhero satire that was recently announced. And we're going to talk about something that's very speculative, but it feels like in 2023 it's worth talking about, which is the potential of a Disney sale to Apple, something that's been rumored in the business for decades, but Mm -hmm. seemingly thanks to a Hollywood Reporter article by Kim Masters, looks like it might be being taken a bit more seriously this time around. In the airlock, it's my adventures with Superman. You guys wanted us to cover it and we're going to talk about it. It's cute. It's delightful. Delightful, just charming. And in the hive mind, we're keeping the Superman theme going with an interview with Sarah Kuhn and Ariel Jovalanos about their delightful DC graphic novel, Girl Taking Over a Lois Lane Story. And then in the nerd out, we got someone talking about another X-ray vision fave, which is Nimona. Coming up, previously on. First up, from Variety, comes the news that Armando Iannucci, the creator of... Uh, the fantastically funny Veep um, has got a new show that has been greenlit by HBO. Uh, The half hour pilot is titled The Franchise and it follows a hopeful crew trapped inside the dysfunctional, nonsensical, joyous hellscape of a franchise superhero movie making. You heard it here correctly, folks. The creator of Veep is parodying Comic book movies per variety, quote, according to an individual knowledge of the project, Sam Mendes. Wow. Super teams came up with the original idea for the show and put the project together. The pilot was written by John Brown, Keith Akushi and Armando Iannucci with Brown and Akushi writing the pilot. Um, uh, Himesh Patel. Hey, we love him. Uh, who was wonderful Station in Station 11. Eleven. Yeah, and cool. Aya Cash, uh, who was t- absolutely transcendently evil in mm-hmm. season two of The Boys, uh, have joined the cast as series regulars. Uh, very exciting. And I think actually, you know, really 
smart move. Yeah, uh, just from the Struck Company, HBO Max. Yes, yeah, uh, un- unbelievably timely. And I will say, yeah. very likely that this was already in the works, had already been picked up. They're releasing news at a, a delayed level, though obviously it is different when it's English people. But yeah, I think this is a great idea. I would love to see it. Uh, Iannucci's brilliant. He's like a British legend. He's incredible at satire. These companies deeply deserve to be satirized. I'm sure part of the reason HBO is making this is because if you think about which franchise has been most successful and will most likely be being satirized, this will likely be an MCU satire. It will be about the whole shebang. But let's be real. When you think about the franchise, it's going to probably be in that space of a of a movies of 20 movies in a row, kind of superhero comic book. Iannucci is a genre guy. Uh, he did the really great Avenue 5, I believe it was called, which yeah. was the... The sci-fi. The, the death of Stalin. Yeah. He also did, um, if you haven't seen it, and it is obviously a bit off the beaten path of X-ray vision, but his version of David Copperfield that he did with Dev Patel is like one of my all-time favorite movies. I'm mm. not even really a period piece guy, but it's such an interesting, whimsical take on how to tell a story like that. And it's brilliant. Dev is amazing. I love him, Ash, so I'm really happy about that. I love... Uh, so many Billy Magnuson is great who's also Richard been e. announced Grant. in this Richard E. Grant obviously legend Daniel Brawl so he's bringing Hello. the MCU to the franchise uh, yeah just so many good people I think this will be hilarious who knows when it will get made I'm sure it will we'll have to wait for more news but yeah this sounds and, good and you know on a more on a more kind of uh, noodle brained note mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's telling that you, you can always kind of tell where you are in the life cycle mm-hmm. of a genre or mm-hmm. a thing by when the parodies show up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, parody satire is kind of like a way of of saying, hey, what about this thing that we're kind of tired of? Mm-hmm. Do we still care about? Yeah, um, definitely. And, and it seems like the perfect uh, time for that. And so we look forward to it. Up next, uh, The Hollywood Reporter with a uh, – with a big story on the hundredth day of the mm-hmm. writer strike uh, about the possibility, the possibility that Is many that analysts and many Wall Street watchers, many media, watchers, right, the possibility that Disney could sell to Apple. Um, Here's a quote from the story. There clearly is no buyer like Apple, which is sitting on $62 billion in cash and cash equivalents and has a $2.8 trillion market cap. And while it may be very true that Apple doesn't want to buy a studio, maybe it wants to buy this studio. Uh, and, of course, the story goes on to outline various connections between the uh, the two corporations, including Pixar, uh, which notably Steve Jobs sold to Disney and the friendship between Iger and Steve Jobs. Um, but – I think to me what was most interesting about this piece is that it gets at a reality which everybody understands is coming and which is also pretty important mm-hmm. as a dynamic in the, in the whole um, uh, you know various labor movements that are going on in the industry and it's that in t- 3 years 4 years 5 years there's not going to be peacock Netflix, mm-hmm. Hulu, Amazon Prime, Apple TV Plus. There's going to be like three, uh, and they're going to be the massive. They're going to be huge, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, Peacock and 
uh, Disney will reabsorb uh, Hulu contractually, uh, then may sell itself to uh, to Apple. Uh, you know, uh, Universal may go somewhere. So, like all of these things, the things that uh, the writers and the actors are fighting for, and IATSE will end up fighting for when their contract comes mm-hmm. up, are important because. Um, you know, the life of these deals is going to extend it to a time in which the studios become only more entrenched, more monolithic, more difficult to deal with. Um, and so it's pretty important. Also important is is the um, the perspective that the, the Biden administration has not been mm-hmm. exactly um, welcoming of new you know, mergers and acquisitions. They they tried to fight uh, the Activision uh, Blizzard uh, takeover by Microsoft, which they, they kind of failed to do. But they did um, stop the publishing one. I forget which the proposed uh, publishing um, M and A. Anyway, um, very interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I would be surprised, I guess, if if a titan like Disney is the one that gets gobbled up. But everybody knows that this will happen. Some version of this will happen. Some version will happen. And this is a rumor that has been going around for like at least a decade Mm -hmm. in Hollywood circles, in comic shop circles, just people talking about it. The truth is, it seems unbelievable, but Disney in this current market has one of the most profitable, valuable, and dense content libraries and that is as depressing as it may be what these sales are about and in that way i do believe that there is a version where apple may want to be able to have every disney movie available on apple tv and also be able to get all the money that they know apple has an incredibly insightful understanding of how much money Disney movie makes because they sell them on Apple TV like families buy them and they can see how many times people buy them how many times people watch them I'm sure they would love to have that money I'm sure they would love to be able to own those brands let alone before you get into how much the parks the things like Marvel uh, Star Wars all of those things so it feels unbelievable because Disney is a, a like monolith but I believe right now because of how much they put into streaming, that this is more possible than ever while still being an outlier. They're going to buy someone. One of the things that um, has people talking about this again um, in this kind of very intense heated way is, you know, one of one of the signs that media watchers had put out there as, as, as a harbinger of perhaps... Disney could sell is if Disney starts, you know, selling off, spinning Mm -hmm, off mm -hmm. any of its various properties. And the fact that Bob Iger, you know, uh, went on CNBC recently and basically hung a for sale sign on various properties owned by Disney, including ESPN, including uh, ABC, um, has signaled to people that, oh, maybe maybe this is indeed happening. One uh, one tidbit really stood out to me on here. uh, quoting from the article, Disney's linear networks generated $8.5 billion in profits in fiscal 2022, though that is expected to decline as cord cutting continues. This is why it's important to understand, like, when they're like, oh, this, it's a bad business and linear is a bad business. 
Disney made eight and a half billion dollars. More money than you could profit. ever imagine. But because, but it's not enough profit. That just blows, that <laughs> and, sums up everything that's wrong with the industry as it is right now. Uh, but here, this is where we are. Uh, I, one more um, aspect of this I think is interesting. So I mentioned like the Biden administration has been, mm-hmm. uh, and Biden's FTC chair is the most aggressive against um, tech in particular of any of the FTC chairs in history, I guess you could say. Um, it, Biden is, the Biden administration has been more um, hostile to m mm-hmm. but with the whole... Uh, you know, DeSantis, Disney war of it all, you do wonder, like, okay, would the re- would a potential Republican administration be any better? Like they would they put this would they put Disney through the ringer mm-hmm. uh if Disney tried to sell under God forbid President Trump or President DeSantis. Uh, yeah. an interesting thing it to is, look out for. But I you will might, say you might yeah, you wonder if they might want wait. not want to do it now yeah. rather than wait. Yeah. At the same time they, I think another reason, and they point this out in the Hollywood Report article, is like that recent overturning of the Microsoft Activision kind of merger where the judge was like, actually, this isn't a monopoly and this is fine. That probably made at least one higher up at Disney go, oh, maybe we could do this. You know, well, you even know, under this, even under this like really hardcore administration you're still occasionally finding these mergers being allowed to happen so under like yeah a bigger a more generous like more business centric administration like probably as a trump administration i don't think they'd have any worry well microsoft did something smart which was basically head off any kind of criticism of you know, the monopolistic power of a Microsoft acquisition of Blizzard by basically saying, hey, we promise PlayStation, we promise Sony and we promise Mm -hmm. our competitors, like we're not going to, we're not going to keep you from the new Call of Duty game or the new Overwatch game. You know, really Call of Duty is the big one. Like, we're going to let you have Call of Duty. Don't worry about it. Like, there's, we promise we're not going to just shuttle Call of Duty to PC and Xbox. Uh, and so that was a way for them to yeah, sidestep yeah, yeah, some yeah, of yeah. those criticisms. I, you wonder how how Disney would That's my biggest potentially thing. sidestep. I also wonder, like, how much of what they're doing right now that seemed was and again something people thought Disney would never do which was like selling off their their stuff that had been on Disney Plus suddenly they're scrapping it they're taking write downs they're they're letting other streaming services have it i wonder if there's something there about like allowing the Disney properties to exist on multiple different platforms rather than them being exclusive to Apple. You know, there's certain things. Now, this would be so unprecedented that it's hard to know, but it's we are in a, once again, living through unprecedented times. It would be nice for them to just be precedented, but right now, it's very unprecedented. I mean, you know, this is kind of an aside, but I think one of the smartest strategies in the streaming era has been Sony, who issued mm-hmm. the kind of lemming-like dive over the cliff of streaming uh, and instead decided, okay, we're not going to start our own streamer at a cost of billions of dollars in losses every year. We're just going to make content and supply it to whoever the fuck wants it. You know, and I, you know, you're seeing like, obviously Disney is doing some of this now. They put Secret Invasion on Hulu, which they own, but like, you know, there's, I, I think you're right in that 
you're going to see everybody who's not Netflix start selling their content all around town. Okay. Up next, the airlock. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. We're stepping out of the airlock and into Metropolis for my adventures with Superman on Adult Swim and... Max, uh, it's a, a wonderful anime-inspired love story um, that really focuses on the relationship uh, of uh, between Clark and Lois Lane, who are here mm-hmm. in their very early 20s. Um, Jack Quaid as uh, Clark Kent, Alice Lee as Lois Lane, Ishmael Sahid as Jimmy Olsen, uh, and it's really great. It's yeah. really great. Uh, it's delightful. What did you think? I thought it's beautiful. I mean, it's so gorgeously animated. From the opening, they kind of showcase that this show understands what makes Superman magical. You get this great kind of origin opening of him as a little kid. The music scores are perfect. The animation, which I believe is Studio Mir, who are just so great. It's gorgeous to look at. Tonally, it's so much fun. I think it speaks, and we'll talk about this in our conversation with, with Ariel and Sarah that's coming up, but like it speaks to like, the timeless nature of Superman Lois and Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy is the breakout for me, like conspiracy obsessed. Like he loves aliens. He he wants to report (laughs) to find the truth. Like he is so much fun. But there's this timeless nature to these characters who have been around this year, 85 years. It's their 85th anniversary of Lois and, and, and Clark. And this show just shows that you can put them into a different situation. You can showcase them in a totally different way here this is very much a lois clark and jimmy story rather than necessarily a superman story but it works so well you want to see them they have superman stuff he's superman you get fun superman stuff they obviously have that the transformation that went viral of him transforming magical girl style you know the designs on the costumes are really fun they fill it with deep cut weird dc characters which we always love i i think it's very sad this didn't end up on Cartoon Network because I think it is legitimately like a perfect Cartoon Network show. But with the whole shenanigans that are going on over there with them shutting down the Cartoon Network building and laying off a lot of people at Cartoon Network, we can imagine that that is not, Kids and Family is not a focus for Warner Brothers. But it's also cool that it's on Adult Swim because Adult Swim is in America one of the kind of hubs of anime. So to have yes. a show that is so deeply inspired by anime, but that's also in this comics universe. And it debuted, you know, originally at midnight, which at first I was like, oh, they've kind of pushed it aside and they're hiding it. But then I learned that midnight is basically at that's 
prime time for Adult Swim because that's the time that they would always show like the everybody's, big new anime shows and everyone's yes, that's up when late. everybody's everybody's weed buzz exactly. is and, and, like, then, and you turn on and Hunter x Hunter's <laughs> on there or whatever like you know so I kind of love that it's gotten to be this sort of organic fun thing that people are discovering and it's been really lovely because I can imagine people watching it with their kids I can yeah. imagine people like us who've read a million Superman comics watching it and it just feels both fresh and totally recognizable. And I think for me, that's something I always really love in superhero storytelling is like, does it make me feel like it understands the characters while also making me feel like there's a reason it exists, which is to introduce something a little new? Yeah, here's the thing. On the reason it exists front, one thing I've, I, I love that DC does, yeah, everybody who's listening to this understands that I've been a lifelong Marvel fan mm-hmm. and uh, dip my toe in DC strategically. But one thing, I, one thing I will eagerly tell anyone that I love that DC does and I wish Marvel would do is like love story centric. Yes, yes, shows, yes, yes, yes. Issues like episode, like there was a um, uh, was there's an anthology series, Mysteries of Love in Space. It was kind of a recent, yeah. which was just like a, a variety of good uh, love stories starting Bizarro Superman, uh, yeah, Lois and Clark from Lois's perspective, Green Lantern. Um, and st- I fucking love shit like that. And mm-hmm. this and this show really reminds me of that. And to the uh, in terms of like what you said about like staying true to the characters, it really this show really hammered home for me one of the things that is deceptively really hard to nail with Superman, which Mm -hmm. they really do. Um, And that's, like, he's obviously, like, he is so good. He's a fucking paragon. Yeah. Um, He has intense empathy. He just wants to help people. And part of, uh, part of, Nailing that is getting the reveal right, getting yes, the moment yes, yes, where yes. Lois figures it out or Clark tells mm-hmm. you know, they've done it different ways, right? Uh, I don't want to spoil how they do it in this show, but it, you've seen it different ways where either Lois figures it out or Clark tells her. Um, and that is such a deceptively hard moment to nail because if you get it wrong, and different stories have played with this throughout mm-hmm. the years. You're basically, you know, Clark is a liar. Clark's lying yeah, to yeah, Lois yeah, yeah. for X amount of this months, show. if not years. He's been hiding this secret and, uh, you know, like impugning her journalistic mm-hmm. morals. Like there's there's all sorts of things that this that this reveal um, can uncover that are that's potentially sticky and this show really nails it. Nails it. it. And, and the it, great yeah. Superman stories really nail it where, exactly. where the reveal happens and it's not like, you dick. No. Like, you which asshole. for a lot of, like even, you know, a lot of the comics you'll be reading years and years afterwards and you're like, wait, does Lois like not know? Like, is she right. dating both of them? Like, what's going on here? But I, I love the way they do it in this show. I think you're absolutely right. I like the way right. they do it as well. They nail it. <laughs> and also the best thing is, it can be very tempting as a storyteller to have something like that as a huge like end of season hook. But I right. think that they reveal it at exactly the right time to allow you to continue on your journey with these characters with that knowledge. Also, I love 
the representation of Superman here. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I cannot remember which one of the creators it was. I wish I could. But one of the creators did a tweet where she was basically like, this is my whole dream has just been to do like wife guy Superman where he I just mean, loves Quaid, Lois Quaid Lane. nails the tone. And like, he is absolutely like, that is who he is, is like, he just loves Lois and it is so delightful to see the way that they play with these kind of visual nods that we understand from anime. Like the first episode where they meet, you get Clark with the blushing and he has like yeah, the little red cheeks anime and the style lines. blushing. And it's, yeah. they have a lot of fun using the visual language of shows like Sailor Moon, of things like, you know, yeah. the shonen ad- adventure of like One Piece or Dragon Ball Z or whatever and merging them all together. But in a way that doesn't feel derivative, it feels like, oh, this is what people who made this show loved. And that feels really special. I think there should be a lot more conversation, a lot more work in a Western comics and stuff that's yeah. inspired by Western comics should be in conversation with anime and manga. And this show does it in like a truly delightful way. Plus the character designs are great. And every really time good. they introduce a new really character, good. like the the cast of characters of DCP folks that you get to see in this are so outrageous. And every time someone pops up, you're <laughs> like, oh shit, like, Dr. I fucking Yeah, I fucking love this design. Like, this is yeah. so good. So, yeah, it's just... I mean, they made... They made <laughs> Professor Ivo into Tony Stark, basically. <laughs> and they like, basically made him into Tony Stark. They had a lot of fun doing it. And, like, the thing uh, that I... I just... This is the kind of show where I feel like there could be, like, 10 seasons of it and you just keep watching them. Will that happen in the state of uh, the Strut Company, Warner Brothers and HBO, like, as we know it? Or Adult Swim, probably I, not. But I want to see more of this. I will it's say, so lovely. I, I agree with you. I think they did the reveal at, at exactly the right point mm-hmm. in the season uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. And plus, like at this in twenty twenty three, I think you're selling out Lois a little bit if she can't if if. You know what I mean? Like you're staring in this person's face. There's pictures of Superman all over the place. Like at some point. If Lois is worth her salt as a mm-hmm. journalist and investigative reporter, she's got to be like, hold on a second. Uh, right? so they do that wonderfully. But but uh, one thing I will miss post the reveal uh, is another thing this show does great is really nail that dynamic of like when two people in a friend group start crushing on each oh, other yeah, and, yeah, every, yeah, and yeah, everybody yeah. knows it, but they deny it. Yeah, that that they get a lot of really really great mileage yeah. out of it. They in this, do it where Jimmy's so like, well. what? <laughs> you dude, like I was thinking about that early. Like, uh, even in the first episode, they have this great moment where like Lois and Clark have like kind of like an argument, and and Clark yeah. is in the right and Lois is in the wrong, and like they're both like I think Lois is talking to Jimmy, and then Clark's just like talking out on the street, and it ends up being one of the newsboy legion who comes, and and they're both just like saying the same shit that they would say to each other. They're like, oh my God, like, I just, I just think I really messed up and I should have done this. And like the Newsboy Legion kid's like nine and she's like, uh, no, like there's like evil robots, like you need to come and help. (laughs) And like Lois is talking to Jimmy and Jimmy's like, uh, there's robots. And even from the beginning, like you just know that these two are basically like made for each other. And it's, they do a really good job of making it still feel like there's romantic tension, even, you know, that those, 
to our end game, which I think yeah. is a very hard thing to do. And also, like, I just agree with you. I just think that there's just not enough romance-focused stories, I, like, like imagine, in superhero I, comics. I kept thinking, like, imagine, like, a Peter Parker, Mary Jane yep. romance comic. Exactly. And Team the thing is, focused, just romance if you do it well, so like, I will say, you know, we like if to you be, do it well, well yeah, I mean, you we, have to, I'm, I'm cause, saying, cause we've of course, had, do it well. We, no, 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 <laughs> I know you are. But like, I, before anyone comes in and been like, oh, haven't you ever read like the, the Aunt yes, May I know teen the romance yeah, 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 comics? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about something, Jason, me and Jason are talking about something like thoughtful and interesting. And like, so if you want to read and sue. Yeah. Read and sue meeting and falling in love. Exactly. Also, like, Rogan Gambit, look, the age difference. There's a lot of problems, but we all ship them. You can (laughs) age them up a little bit. It's fine. But, like, those, like, a Rogan Gambit show like this, are you mad? That would be a hit. Like, why doesn't that exist? I'm always trying to pick every time I go. Doug Ramsey and Warlock. Oh, Oh my God, I would (laughs) love that. Dude, every time I speak to anyone at DC, I'm like, so what do you think about like it's like a webtoon but it's Swamp yeah. Thing and Abby Arcane and it's like a romance and they always look at me and I'm like trust me people want monster romance like <laughs> this is the things that the people want so I love that aspect and I think that is what makes this show it's shine fun. is like the balance it's really fun yeah. I, imagine if you're a kid yeah and you love you know Pokemon or you love One Piece and you watch anime all the time on Crunchyroll or whatever and you never really got into superhero comics because you're still like 10 and you just haven't read them imagine if you find this show like this can be like your Batman the animated series now it's going to have a totally different impact but to see a show like this that understands the tropes and the stylistic flair of the things that you love and takes homage and influence from the shows that you already like and it introduces you to this legendary iconic character who's been around for 85 years that just makes me feel really excited because i do think this will be that show for a lot of kids i I completely agree a really really fun show check it out uh up next hive mind the living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome to The Hive Mind, where we explore a topic in more detail with expert guests. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Sarah Kuhn and Ariel Jovalanos, who wrote and illustrated Girl Taking Over a Lois Lane Story, along with Beautiful Colors by Olivia Puccini. And we are so happy to have them here today. Sarah and Ariel, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's so nice to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you two making it possible. It has been a true journey to get you on the podcast. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yes, appreciate, I appreciate you making the journey. So one of the things that we love to ask people here, and I think I can't wait to hear you talk about it, is like, what was your comic book origin story? Like, what was the thing that, that made you fall in love with comics? Sarah, I'm going to point to you first because I know you're a comic book lover. Um, sure. You know, um, I <laughs> I think I've, I probably told a few versions of, of whatever that story is. So I, I'm not sure I, I even know anymore. Um, but <laughs> I... I, you know, I can't remember a time in my life where I didn't, I didn't have comic books. I grew up with them. I mm-hmm. had them in childhood. Um, my brother and I used to haunt the the spinner racks at the grocery store when you could get floppies for seventy five cents yeah. or sometimes even fifty cents. <laughs> um, that's really, uh, as we all know, not the the case anymore. Um, and. I think we started with things like Archie and Superman. I remember mm. the um, the Christopher Reeve Supermans were some of kind of my first um, big comic book fandom movies. That's really where I fell in love with Lois Lane. Um, and I was a big X-Men kid. You mm. know, we watched the animated series. We collected all the comics. We got super into all the continuity and all of that. So I feel like they've always been in my life. I can't really remember a time... Uh, when I didn't, I didn't read them, you know, that might've been Mm. my dad too. He was a big comic book collector. He had a story about how, um, his mother, our grandmother threw away his collection when he went to college. And that was like a childhood trauma for him for a really (laughs) long time. So maybe one of the reasons he would literally buy us whatever we wanted, besides the fact that they only cost 75 cents, uh, was that he wanted to like, kind of you know repurchase his collection or like whatever (laughs) the modern version was of that collection so yes I've always been a a comic book kid and um it's still wild to me that I get to make them now Ariel how about you yeah oh um I didn't start off with superheroes I started off with I I guess, like, how most kids do, maybe, with, like, uh, Garfield and Mm, Snoopy and uh, just, like, the Saturday funnies. I'm obsessed with Garfield. Me too. Um, (laughs) And then uh, from there, I think um, I I kind of transitioned to making my first versions of comics by making kind of strip comics Mm. because that's, like, that was the first time that I had seen, like, the form of comics. So the first initial comics that I had made were like very comic strippy, very much, honestly, they were kind of ripping off the plots of cartoon episodes (laughs) of things that I would seen, especially um, like they would be ripping off plots of SpongeBob and Dexter's (laughs) Laboratory, things like that. And then I would just kind of transfer them into comics, but like with my own uh, characters. It wasn't really until that I got into um, manga that I was mm-hmm. um, sort of reading comics that feel more like the comics that I, I actually read today and that influence my work mm-hmm. today. So the first one that I always talk about, um, no matter what, is Ranma, which I actually Yay! have right here. This was my Rami- very Ramiko, first the legend. Um, manga. Yeah, I love I Rumiko Takahashi Sensei. Love her. Um, 
But um, that the the first two volumes of Ranma that I ever bought, those were the two ones that I were that I was completely obsessed with. I collected up to a certain point and read past those two volumes, of course, but like uh, those first two volumes were the ones that I would reread over and over and over again from like uh, middle school on. I would, I did, I didn't even know that that's what it was called, but I would do master studies mm. of the pages and the character designs. And so um, definitely Ranma has been very, very influential. And then it wasn't really, really until um, um, col- after college that I got into uh, superheroes earnestly. And I fell like deep, deep, deep into like a rabbit hole of superheroes, which I have told the story in, at multiple times at this point. But I just basically, basically, very, very, very long story short, I had gotten into the MCU because of Curse Evans. <laughs> and then that sort of led me into... Understandable. That sort of that sort of led me into genuinely reading um, uh, superhero comics, especially um, Young Avengers, Mm. which was my was my favorite, and um, and I mean honestly, I think since I don't know my my. uh, my enjoyment of superhero comics has always felt tied to like teen shenanigans. Mm-hmm. So I was like very, very thrilled that um, Lois wound up <laughs> being very teen yes. shenanigans. And it, it went, yeah, it wound up being like a very perfect fit for like what I love about comics and superhero comics with uh, Lois Lane. Well, and wait, uh, I have to, I have to yes. mention my favorite part of that story that Ariel tells, yeah. which uh, she didn't <laughs> include this time, which is when yes, she talks about um, how she found like Chris Evans and, and the MCU, and she actually like caught up on most of it through like fan fiction. Yes, um, ducky fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not my favorite part. My my favorite part is that she says she says it so respectfully. She says there was a very nice young man named Steve Rogers, and I have no more about this very nice young man named Steve Rogers. It's so respectful. Yeah, that's nice. Even though like, she's like, he is then not, he's like 95 years like, old also. It's like, it's so, it's so respectful. She's um, looking respectfully. Just, yeah, yeah. Looking respectfully yeah. at America's ass. And I, yeah. I appreciate that. Of course. I appreciate that so much. That is one Respectfully. That is America's ass, respectfully. Well, respectfully. Um, Ariel, you, yeah. you mentioned it. We're, we're here um, talking to y'all because of your book, Girl Taking Over, a Lois Lane story. Sarah, tell us about the book. Yes. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's like, it's so funny. I feel like our brains are so dead now because we've been talking about this book for like three months, but we never get tired of it. We never get tired of talking about it. But I, I, I'm having like that short circuit moment where I'm like, what is that book about that I've been talking about for three months? Um, so Lois, Girl Taking Over, colon, a Lois Lane story has the longest title ever. It's um, about a teenage Asian American biracial Lois Lane, and she has just graduated from high school and gotten her first internship in the big city 
Um, it's National City, which is kind of DC's version of Los Angeles, and I live in Los Angeles, so I was really excited to sort of write in that environment. And um, she has this idea of what her perfect summer is, what's going to happen, how it's going to be so amazing, and it kind of doesn't totally work out. It actually (laughs) falls apart pretty much immediately, and so she kind of has to find her own way, make new friends. Do a lot of hijinks, you know, that is, has a very Ranma sensibility as well. There's mm. lots of hijinks, hijinks, hijinks. And it's kind of a story about how she finds herself, how she finds her voice, and how she falls in love with journalism and becomes a version of the Lois Lane that we all know and love. Yeah. Ariel, one of the things, I mean, the book is beautiful, and Sarah, I'm a huge fan of all yeah. your writing, but this has such a distinct visual language that you crafted with Olivia Petrini, the colorist. Could you talk a little bit about like getting to kind of play in this superhero world, but in a totally different visual way than we've ever got to see? You really got to craft a a unique world with, with Sarah and Olivia. Yeah. And I always say this in all of the interviews, but it really starts with um, first Sarah being, um, well, one, a writer that I've we've been dying to collaborate on a like a longer story for ages. And so I think and I think that was just because we could inherently sense that uh, there was something harmonious about like the way that we think of stories mm-hmm. that would meld very well together um, by the time that we would uh, have a script, like a full script. And so the way that Sarah writes is just very um it's it's very visual. It's very conversational in in the fact that I when I see her script, I'm like, okay, she is giving me enough, um, really, really a, enough uh, description mm. for me to get what she's going for. But she gives me like a lot of runway to play with, and so it really starts with I think Sarah's. Um, colorful way of describing how she wants something and then me being able to kind of compute that in my brain and being like okay this is this is what she means and based off of how I know to play around with visual language I'm going to translate what she said in words and then try to make it work um, with a visual and I think we just worked really well uh, together in that respect. And I think um, as well that uh, Olivia and Melanie, mm-hmm. Olivia, our um, uh, colorist, Melanie, our letterer, also kind of got the vibe too. And I really do think it's a testament to um, uh, Sarah. Sarah's like strong writing and um, direction, as well as um, our editor, Sarah Miller's ability to kind of keep the ship and the vision, like, all pointing in one um, direction, leading us to the same place. And I think that's why it, I think the book came out so um, as as well as it did, honestly. Sometimes I, like, will open it like, randomly and be like, damn, we've it's true even months even months later i'll be like wow damn look look at look at this this is great you know yeah one of the things that really struck me uh about the book that i loved is just the 
the um, the fashions, the styles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of that and everything, and you know all the kind of visual stuff that I end up reading. And I think it's really wonderfully done, particularly with Lois um, and her roommate Mickey. Uh, tell us about the creation of the the various fashions that these women wear. At, you know, going to work, going out, and how you chose and ideated on those ideas. Uh, Sarah, do you want to start with how you (laughs) write it into the script? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, uh, as Ariel mentioned, like Sarah Miller, our editor, was such a wonderful sort of leader and Mm. guide for this project. And we, I think the three of us all have very similar sensibilities about stories and characters and fashion, and especially, you know, as fashion as it related to these characters. I always knew that was going to be a really important part of the book. And um, when we got Ariel on board, we were both so excited because we knew that, like, this book should have so much movement, so much vibrance, mm. so much, you know, expression. And we knew that was something that Ariel is just so amazing at. And like Ariel said, like, we had wanted, she and I had wanted to collaborate together for so long on something. And so when it came to the fashion, the three of us had, like, very detailed discussions about Mm. it and I think I had put some descriptions in the script but then when we were we started working on the first character designs I think I wrote up like a brief that was sort of like here you know we don't have the whole script yet I think we just had the outline at that point maybe a little bit of the script but we were kind of like we want like this character to sort of look like this like this is her body language. This is the way she goes about things. This is the way she dresses. Here are maybe some real life inspirations. And we had sort of like different like actresses and influencers who we thought like maybe had a certain style or mm. look that that were good inspirations. Um, so we I put those together in a brief and I think I included like some Instagram links and stuff. And then Ariel made um, this amazing, like these amazing mood boards for each character, kind of pulling from that. Um, But I think like the idea was just, you know, we wanted them to look obviously fresh, obviously modern, obviously like, you know, young people today um, instead of maybe like young people when when we were all 16. Although, honestly, a lot of the fashion from when I was 16 is coming back now. So maybe it's the same. Um, Like, sometimes I look at the the youth and I'm like, I think I had that exact same outfit when I was your age. But anyway, um, I just like that was honestly one of the parts that I was the most excited for because I'd I'd been such a fan of Ariel's work for so long. Mm. And I just knew that the fashion was going to be amazing. (laughs) And it was a very detailed process. And Ariel, I don't know if you want to talk about like how you kind of created those mood boards and then led into your actual character designs. Yeah, for sure. So I think in terms of, well, for me, I think something that I've known about myself is that I don't love drawing the outfit that is canon most of the time for any character. Because I'm just like, I don't know. I just think that that's that's not often why. I There are many, many images of like... 
character A always dressed in their normal character A outfit, right? So I always try to be like, okay, but like, what would they dress like in this situation or that situation? To be honest, I think that is like an effect of coming from fandom Mm -hmm. and fan fiction and like fan art. Just, I I think that that's just like a world that is so indulgent and playful that it just, I can't not do that Mm -hmm. with my, um, with, with my, with any character that I draw. <laughs> but um, that said, though, so when it got to um, having to figure out what all the, um, the the lowest cast was going to wear, I did enlist uh, two uh, Gen Zers. <laughs> Just because I was like, okay, what, what are some of the... Because... I was like, I don't, you know, I just to make sure that it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, because I think I'm getting into that stage of my like life where I'm dressing a little auntie. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I got, um, so I got, um, two, two, um, Gen Z, uh, friends of mine basically, or, uh, um, to to help me with the mood boards where I would just um, I would uh, pick and choose some things myself I would direct I would direct them and then they would sort of like help me extrapolate on um, like what else these characters might wear um, and it, that especially helped with the fact that there's such a large cast mm-hmm. and Sarah mm. was very very distinct in describing who each, character was even if they were just like a side character and I think it was just like helpful to um divide and conquer a bit mm. on getting at least um the research done I always think that comics uh at least for me it's it's always been like a, a team sport mm-hmm. where yeah, of I it, yeah just because on the visual side of drawing a comic I'm like the artist is responsible for you know, quite a lot of things like drawing like the set, drawing like the characters, the body language, thinking about the clothing. It's there's all these like different things to think about. And wherever I can like ask for help mm-hmm. in these situations, I always try to ask for help. And so I think um the my two um fashion assistants, um Jay Marie Garcia and Alinda Zhao they definitely both helped in uh, capturing the language of the fashion. And then from there, it was easy for me to sort of be like, okay, these are the references. How can I extrapolate this further? How can I maybe like cartoon it up Mm -hmm. a bit? And um, uh, honestly, yeah, I'm obsessed with every outfit and I think I would, (laughs) I would wear all of it basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because whenever um, Sarah Miller, the editor Mm -hmm. and I would get like new pages, we would be like, Wait, do I need a beret? Like, do I need a Letterman jacket? Like, every single thing we were like, I feel like I need this outfit now. And it's unfair that it doesn't exist in real life. Like, we we were so inspired to, like, go buy things for ourselves, even though we're not Gen Z. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's very inspiring. Oh, man. Berets and Letterman jackets? 
<laughs> yeah, that will. I I think for me, I'll always sneak in a Letterman jacket and I'll always sneak in a beret. I'm always like, every you know what that character needs a jacket with a patch that indicates some part of your personality on it. That's, that's what I mean. <laughs> That's what I was I gonna be like. I've definitely time. seen an Avatar crew fan art by you where someone's yeah. wearing a lemon jacket. I was like, I'm sure that this is an oh, Ariel <laughs> Everyone's wearing one, different one for each bender power. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> one of the reasons, like, I've been super stoked uh, to have you on the show is like this is the 85th anniversary of Lois Lane and Superman, sure, but like Lois Lane mm-hmm. too. And a book actually mm-hmm. came out on the anniversary, which I thought was really lovely. Um, Sarah, I'll start with you. Like, why do you, what do you think it is about Lois Lane? And, you know, to a latter part, if you want to, about Clark or Superman, but like, what do you think it is about Lois that's made her resonate for so long that you can have a graphic novel for young readers created by people Mm -hmm. like us, our age, who loved this stuff, but who weren't even the first audience for it? Yeah, I mean, there is something about her that is both like, compelling like very specific but also timeless mm-hmm. she's a character yeah. that is a bit elastic in a different in, in in different ways because you can sort of make her fit different scenarios different time periods but she always feels like Lois and I think that was something that we really tried to drill down on like what is that what you know mm-hmm. how can we make sure this is definitely Lois and you know like I said like my first like falling in love with Lois moment was really those uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movies, I just thought Margot Kidder was so amazing. Like, she was really the one that I zeroed in on. Like, Superman was fine, but she was the Mm -hmm. one that I was like, this movie is, like, all about this person. She is the main character. We are discovering Superman through her eyes because she's, you know, the human. Mm -hmm. She's kind of, like, the audience's way in. And I just always loved that she was so tough and so outspoken, and she would never allow herself to be the sidekick yeah. or the Mm-mm. sort of girlfriend or the love interest. Like, I think with some stories like that, with, you know, superheroes or these sort of larger-than-life franchises where maybe it was about a man and the man had a love interest or a girlfriend or whatever, a lot of times that character was kind of a throwaway. She was just very pretty and, like, complimented everything he did and thought he was so amazing and, you know, was very sort of blank slate accessible. And Lois was the opposite. She was very outspoken. She was very ambitious. She cared about getting the truth. She would sort of go after something and never give up. She was extremely tenacious. Um, She would take up space. Mm -hmm. She would really not allow herself to be pushed to the side. And I think um, that's something that probably appeals to a lot of us. I, I think to a lot of us, I know that's something that appeals to writers because I think when you're writing something, you're trying to get to a truth, whether it's an emotional truth, whether it's a narrative truth, whether it's a truth that exists just for that character, like whatever it is, you are always trying to find a truth and kind of unearth that and beam that out to whoever is reading your story. So Lois, I think, for me, has always been very powerful. You know, the moment I I have talked about a few times in interviews is the end of Superman 2, where the whole... You know, the whole movie she's been on this kick yeah. where she wants this fresh squeezed orange juice to look like healthy. <laughs> and then and the movie she basically orders Clark to go get her a hamburger with everything on it and the fresh squeezed orange juice and it's like nine in the morning and she's like, Yeah, I know, go go do that for me. 
And I was like, oh my God, like this, is this my goal? Like this is my goal. Like this is like what I want my future to look like. And um, so I think there is just something about her that again is so specific, but can also be morphed to different time periods and different ages and different settings. And so it is the biggest compliment, I think, to both mm-hmm. of us when someone is like, you know, this feel, this is Lois Lane. This is mm-hmm. not like a Lois Lane we've seen before, but there is something about her at her core that she is undeniably Lois Lane. Uh, to that end, I, I think one of the most surprising things about this book for me as a person who came up through digital media and, and journalism, <laughs> Rosie the same, is the way it prepares the the young readers of today <laughs> for the realities of digital media through Lois's uh, adventure out to National City and arrival at the uh, offices of Catco only to discover that Catco uh, has been gobbled up by some large uh, media conglomeration and her uh, hero <laughs> editor chief has triggering. been jettisoned and now she's got to figure it out. I mean, listen, that is. <laughs> That is a reality that everyone who's ever worked in digital media has faced at at at, at some point in time. And um, talk to us, Sarah, about bringing that to the page and making that part of the story. I mean, I'm glad that you could feel seen and hopefully not too traumatized. Yeah. Seen and traumatized. Um, yeah. you know, I, I mean. And I, I'm also glad it came off as realistic. Yeah. I mean, I my back, you know my background is I was a journalist. I was my own little Lois Lane. Like I, you know, I did that for a long time. Um, that's what I did in college. That's what I did after college. I had several media jobs after college that I did full time before I became a freelancer, and then eventually <laughs> a novelist, and comic book writer, and all of that. Um, and so I have a great deal of affection for that world and. When I was kind of starting out in journalism, it was sort of, um, I guess, the what web 1.0 sure. yeah. boom and then bust, yeah, yeah. very, very quick bust. Um, but I worked in that environment for a while, and I think I got, you know, that sort of sense of, like, when I, I think when I was a kid, I had sort of imagined it as, like, oh, you get this one job, and I remember, like, I loved uh, Sassy Magazine. Oh, yeah. Sassy <laughs> Magazine at the time was sort of like, it was like the Bible for mm-hmm. sort of the alternative mm-hmm. teenage girl who wanted to be outspoken and, you know, was into like riot girls and zines and kind of all the things that Lois ends up being into. And so I think I had this fantasy of like, oh yeah, you get a job at like a Sassy Magazine at like the entry level and then you just stay there forever and then you you live this like amazing glamorous mm-hmm. life in like New York City or San Francisco or LA or like some amazing metropolis where you know every day is just like you having these adventures <laughs> and like I don't know like, and you can pay rent and I you guess, can buy a like, house eating, yeah. like eating yeah. free yeah. muffins and having health insurance yeah. like you know, and so like when I actually started working in media, I think then, and to be clear, I loved every sure, journalism yeah, job yeah, yeah. I had. I think like they were all, they were all honestly awesome. Like I had such a good time. I made great friends. I still have fans from like my journalism days who have followed me into this second career. And so I think like, you know, that was something that I thought would be kind of fun to explore mm-hmm. with Lois that like, she has this kind of idealized version. She knows what she wants. She's going to go after it at all mm-hmm. costs. 
but her vision of that is so <laughs> specific and so kind of glamorized and so not exactly based in reality. You know, I think she also has this idea, if I just work mm, hard enough, I yeah. will be mm-hmm. rewarded yeah. over and over and over again in a very fair and equitable way. And, mm. you know, I think we probably all have that moment where we realize that perhaps <laughs> the job that we love may not love mm-hmm. us back to the same degree or the, or if, even if we love the job, the corporation <laughs> may not love us yeah. back to the same degree. You know, so many things can happen in, over the course of like even a year, that, <laughs> especially now it feels like the media landscape is kind of the wild west. Truly. So I thought that was kind of also an important reality to um to reflect. And I also kind of wanted to show that, like, you know, I think all of us also go through our own story arc of realizing, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, the real power is Mm -hmm. in you. The real power is your voice. No corporation, no media job, no like newspaper or magazine or whatever can give that to you. And especially now with all of these avenues to sort of get your voice out there and your work out there yourself, I thought that was something Mm -hmm. that was important for Lois to realize that the real power is her. It's not a job. It's not a certain college. It's not a certain paper. It's not a certain internship. It's really her voice that she just needs to be brave enough to express. Um, so yeah, and, and again, I'm glad that that uh, <laughs> resonated with people who are working in media um, during these trying times. I love that everyone can just like, whenever they're having a rough time or they get laid off, they can just come back and listen to that speech you just gave and be yeah. like, just got to make the zine, man. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was laid off so many times during my media career. Like I was laid off so many times that I feel like, you know, I cert- I understand that. I understand what that's like. And, um, you know, that was something I had to realize, too, that my power was not in a platform someone else had Mm. given me or a publication I didn't create or someone who had given me a job. Those were all very nice things. But my true power was like in Mm. my voice. And that's something that I think everyone, I hope, can realize for themselves eventually. I love that. And okay, so so more on a on a less um, existentially relatable, but also <laughs> like the terrifying level. Um, so this is obviously one of the the I love this line of DCYA graphic novels that Sarah is the brilliant editor of. Do you guys have like a, a dream sequel story you would want to tell? Like Ariella, you trying to put Clark Kent in a Letterman jacket with a giant <laughs> S on the back? I would love to put Clark Kent in a Letterman jacket. <laughs> See, the thing is, though, okay, I, I've told Sarah my dream is like a himbo <laughs> Superman situation. Here's the thing, though. Like, since since the book has come out, another thing has come out, which I'm like, whoa, which is My Adventures with Superman yeah. on HBO. Yeah. On, oh, wait, sorry. Max. Max. On Max. Max. How could you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> And first, I I always whenever I see it, I'm like, oh my god, the my adventures with Superman Lois and the girl taking over Lois, like they're they are shaking hands, like they are like the meme of like they're shaking like, because they're like the, yes. they're like the spider, they're like the yeah. Spider Man yeah, yeah, who are like yeah. pointing at each other. Yes, <laughs> they are like very, and I think that that speaks to what you were saying, uh, Sarah, that like Lois is Lois mm. in what. Like, when a writer 
or like when an, a team gets Lois right, you will sense that it is Lois. And our, there's there's definitely something right about the My Adventures of Superman Lois. Um, that said, if we could do a graphic novel that is about our, our Lois meeting Clark, meeting Clark, and um, uh, basically Clark just following her around. <laughs> And being like, oh, yes, Miss Lane, let me help you with that. I would love that. That would be like my, my like, while, while Lois is off, um, I was chasing some, like, groundbreaking story and Clark just, like, assists her. I would love that. That would be great. <laughs> that, that would be the story that yeah, I would Ari- Yeah. Ariel kept saying himbo Superman, like, himbo Clark Kent. <laughs> and that was something I just feel like, she we need to see from her like we need to see her version of that i think definitely um but yeah i mean obviously we we had so much fun working on this book we love sarah miller our editor we love the whole Mm -hmm. team um we would love to do uh some kind of you know follow-up at some point we had a lot of ideas but definitely um himbo part 10 kept (laughs) coming up whenever we were doing interviews. <laughs> well, Sarah and Ariel, thank you so much for joining us. The book's wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah and Ariel. Up next, Nerd Out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, a theory you're excited to share, or a quick question we can answer, Ashley pitches us on the 2023 film Nimona, based on the beloved groundbreaking comic by Andy Stevenson. Hi, Jason and Rosie. This is Ash, a longtime listener. Uh, I wanted to send a nerd out suggestion request, uh, beg you guys to talk about this amazing uh, comic and now movie, Nimona by Andy Stevenson. Um, It is so refreshing. It has amazing music incredible animation, great voice acting. Um, It is on Netflix um, and it is such an amazing allegory about gender and about being an outsider and about learning to question uh, the world around us and find our place in it and accept who we are and the people around us. Um, As someone who's uh, been going through the gender fuckery on my own. It was amazing to see the story. And as someone who has uh, a seven-year-old, uh, she was able to watch this and was just entranced with every moment of it. And it was truly such an amazing, amazing experience. Um, and I really hope that more people see this and talk about this. And just, oh, it was so good. Thanks for all that you guys do. Thanks, Ashley. If you have theories, passions, or quick questions you want to share, hit us up at xrayatcrooked.com. Instructions, as always, are in the show notes. Thanks to Sarah and Ariel for joining us. And that's it for us. Rosie, any plugs? Uh, you can still just read my IGM piece. I, I, we have got, I can't believe it's I'm great. saying this. I really, don't read, really great. Check I it don't out. read the comments, but the, the 
oral history of the boom and bust of comics on IGN. Actually, I have it has been reported to me by multiple places that it has very positive comments of just people being excited to remember this era in their life. So I think if the, if era. the piece can make a comment section happy, then it's a good piece. So I'm feeling very happy about that. I'm very proud about it. So just go and read it and and listen to some comic legends saying some hilarious things. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision Wednesday, August 16th. Until then, you can watch full episodes of the podcast on YouTube. You can also check us out on Twitter at XRVPod and join our Discord to hang out with lots of cool fans. Five-star ratings, five-star ah, reviews. Five, we five, five. we got to have, you got to give us this. Here's one from Trackman. I'm a Trackman. Best pop culture podcast out there. Wow. Oh, thank Jeez you. Nervosi. A really delightful combo of ridiculous amount of pop culture knowledge. I relish their comics recommendations, and I appreciate their insightful approach to breaking down shows and movies. Thank you, Trackman. Appreciate it. Before we go, I wanted to share some news about X-Ray Vision. After two wonderful years making pods and digital series here at Quick Media, we are taking X-Ray Vision independent. Making the show has been such a delight. Connecting with the audience, talking about the stuff we love has been a wonderful, wonderful pleasure. I'm sure you want to know what this means for the pod. Uh, We're going to find a home for it. And because uh, of certain uh, business things that you don't need to worry about, you're not going to need to subscribe to a new pod once we get that home for the pod, which... Should be shortly, hopefully. Knock, knock wood. All you're going to have to do is check your feed and it'll pop up. You'll also get messages from Rosie and I about when that will happen. More information on our final show, which will be next Wednesday. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin and executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajewski. Social media by Ewa Okalati and Caroline Dunphy. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. Ashley's Memorial Day sale is going on now. Shop our biggest selection of hot buys, cool deals, or shop limited time savings on new summer spaces. Plus, get 72-month special financing on select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Whether you're redecorating indoors or rethinking your outdoor space, save big on this season's trending styles. Only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. No minimum purchase required. See store for details. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.